0: Good morning. Great to see you all again as we open up our second week of this study of Acts. So go ahead, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. And let me give a bit of a recap for those of you that are just joining us in this series. Last week we kicked off the study of the book of Acts, kind of flowing right out of our study of Mark's gospel. It's a continuation of the story of Jesus now being expressed. Through the church. And this morning we're going to focus on the spirit. I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But we've called it Plan A because we're reminded every single week when we see that title, the church is God's plan A for the world and there is no plan B. And the reason that's true is because Jesus is God's plan A for the world and the church is the body of Christ now on earth. So we're going to be journeying through this text together We're going to be studying it chapter by chapter as we go through like we typically do. Uh, Now I will say this, we're also going to be kicking off, as you've heard, 40 days of focused prayer and some fasting during those 40 days as well. And it was already mentioned by Lindsay, I hope you're able to come next Sunday night, that's going to be our kind of formal kickoff to that time, and then beginning the very next day, Monday, October 9th. We are actually going to be inviting you to begin that 40 days of praying. And next Sunday, during our weekend services, next weekend, you'll hear instructions on how you can sign up to know, hey, how do I be a part of this? How do I know what to pray in day one, day two? If I want to fast, how do I sign up for a day, et cetera? We'll talk all about that next week. But come next week to the services. You'll hear about that, and then it'll formally be kicked off at that night of worship next Sunday night. We're very excited about that. Now, last weekend in the sermon, we covered really the, the first part of chapter. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts, and we talked mostly about the key verse of the book of Acts, which is Acts 1-8. We're going to put that back on our screen just to get this back in your head, because it's important that you have this verse in mind as we look at our, ta- our text this morning. Here's what Jesus told his apostles before he ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so we talked last week that what Jesus was doing in this verse was actually creating. He was speaking a creation into existence, just as he did at the beginning. And the new creation he was speaking in the beginning is what we now call the church. It was the DNA that he was implanting in them. And the DNA consists of this power from the Spirit to be witnesses. Witnesses where? Right where you are to start with. And then eventually to the utter ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is going to follow that outline. And you'll see that play out as we study it. Now the focus of our text today, as I mentioned, is the Holy Spirit. And I've got to give a couple disclaimers right from the get-go. I know that whenever we teach on the Holy Spirit, there's kind of two audiences in the room. you know. And I'm, I'm going to pigeonhole you, so forgive me. I, I know there's a lot of people in the middle. But we have some of you that just kind of get a little nervous. Every time we say, man, let's, let's sing a song about the Spirit like we did a few minutes ago, right? No coincidence there, obviously. And we're saying, you know, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, some of you are like, well, what's going to happen? I'm not, not real comfortable with that. We're not going to be one of those charismatic churches, are we? You know, yet there's an audience of you here. Then there's an audience on the other side, the other pole of the spectrum that would say, it's about time we got some Holy Spirit in this place. You know, and and I know that the audience is mixed, and then a whole lot of you in the middle. I want to give just a couple of thoughts as I launch into this. Uh, Two things to keep in mind: number one, this this passage does not answer every question that we have about the Holy Spirit. And I want to be real clear: today's sermon is not a topical sermon on the topic of the Holy Spirit. You know, we could do that. We 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 can and should, and I will say, will. Do a series on the Holy Spirit, because I do think we need to teach more and teach more accurately on the Holy Spirit. But today is not the day for that. Now, the text is about the Spirit, and we're going to teach about the Spirit through the text that God has brought us to today. Disclaimer number two, although the passage we're going to look at talks about the gift of tongues, it will not answer every question that you have about the gift of tongues. You know, so some of you are like, yeah, you know, just just tell us, you know, tell us uh, this and that. What, I, what I'm going to teach this morning is what this text teaches about. gift of tongues. And again, we're not going to study all the passages on the gift of tongues. We're not even going to make an attempt to sort of align all those passages together. We'll save that for a different time in a different place. But I want to teach you what this text teaches about the gift of tongues. It's actually very interesting. So that's what we're not going to do. It's not topical on the Holy Spirit. It's not topical on tongues. What will this text help us with? It's going to help us understand how the Spirit empowers the church to live out the highest purpose that we have. And when I say church, I mean us collectively, and I mean us individually as individual members of that body. You are called to live a life worth talking about. Like Jesus said, the the, the enemy has come to steal, to kill and destroy, but I, Jesus speaking, have come to give life that would overflow, the overflowing kind of life, the abundant kind of life. That's the kind of life that should bubble out of you. It is a spirit spiritual life, but not just a spiritual life. It's a spiritual life that gives hope and joy and witness to all aspects of your life, your family life, your work life, your neighboring. Everything that you do should be an overflow of the kind of life that you have that's bubbling up in you through Jesus Christ. It all centers around this new creation that you have become as you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. So a proper understanding of the Spirit's role in that is pretty critical. And here's what I'd say. If you think about last week, we know that the Spirit is the power source. So trying to live out spirituality without depending upon the Holy Spirit is a little bit like trying to to drive a car without ever turning that ignition switch, right? It's like the engine is present, Everything you need is there to go, but if you don't turn that ignition switch on and put your foot on the gas, you stay in the driveway. So, you know, I've got three daughters. The oldest one is 12, so she's not old enough yet to drive, obviously, hopefully, you know. And, but but I, I like to let them pretend, you know. And so we'll, we'll sit in the seat together So you know, don't touch this, don't touch this. But you, you, can, you can, you know, steer the steering wheel. And they love it, you know. They imagine themselves going. And I, and I thought this week, I said, this is what a lot of our Christian lives are like. It's like, I, I, I think I'm in the right seat. I've got my hands on the wheel. I'm doing some things, right? I'm going to church you might be reading your Bible, you might listen to Christian music, you might be a part of a Bible study, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. I'm just sort of stuck in the driveway. And this is identifying with some of you, not all of you in your spiritual lives. And what I believe today is the Spirit wants to speak to us through this text to actually teach us what the power source is of our spiritual lives. And it's not our own effort. It's not our own knowledge. It's not our own discipline. It's the third person of the Trinity. And so this is what we're going to see today. All right, go ahead. And uh, I already asked you to open your Bibles. I need to open my Bible. We're going to pick it up in chapter two. And let me just give a recap. We didn't cover all of chapter one. So let me tell you what happened from um, basically verse 12 through the end of the, the, the verses in chapter one. The disciples did exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. They went back to Jerusalem. They began waiting for the Spirit to arrive. Uh, They they began to pray, and they did one other thing while they were waiting. They appointed a substitute, or not a substitute, but a new permanent apostle in the place of Judas. You know, Judas wasn't around anymore, obviously. And so the, the man that they appoint is named Matthias, and he becomes the 12th apostle, and then they're ready for the Spirit to come. We're gonna pick up the text right here in chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Stop, pause, you know, we, we didn't get very far. Let's talk about this though and then we'll go to the next verse in just a, a couple of minutes. Um, Luke is a great historian. As I said last week, he's gonna give us a couple things here. He's gonna give us a, an important time stamp. He's gonna allude to a location. He doesn't list the specific location. We just know that they're all together. But if you glance back to chapter one, verse 13, you'll see that they went up into an upper room and it was likely the same upper room Perhaps that Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, eaten the last meal with them. I think there's a good chance this is the same place where they're all gathered again as they're um, celebrating the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, here's the time stamp for for the the day that this was. This was a particular day. We could actually trace this to the actual Jewish calendar to know exactly, precisely the day that the Spirit arrived, because the day of Pentecost was not just a a celebration that we, the church, have as we look to the arrival of the Spirit. day of Pentecost is actually a Hebrew festival. It was instituted in the Old Testament. It commemorates or celebrates the, the first fruits of the grain harvest. There were particular sacrifices that did, uh, that they would come as they celebrate the harvest that God had given. It came about 50 days after Passover. That's where it got the name Pentecost, you know the, the, the prefix there meaning five, You know, 50 days, Pentecost. Now, It had come to also commemorate another huge historical moment in the history of the Israelite people, the giving of the law of Moses. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and came back with the Ten Commandments, huge day in the nation's history. Pentecost had come to celebrate that as well. Why? Because that event happened about 50 days after they left Egypt which would have been 50 days after Passover, right? So about the same time frame. So by Jesus' time, they were celebrating two things, the first fruits of the grain harvest and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. I'll tell you why I spent so much time on this. It's important to know that there's no accident when the Spirit came. And, and you'll see why that day was so significant as we continue in the text. Verse 2. I'm going to read uh, two through four, and I want you to see if you can identify three supernatural phenomena that accompany the arrival of the Spirit. So look for those as we read, starting in verse two. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, what are our three you know, supernatural signs or, or three phenomena here? Number one, the wind, exactly. Now, specifically, it says a sound like a wind. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Anybody remember from last week? This is kind of your pop quiz, all right? Uh, anyone remember the Greek word for spirit? We talked about it last week. Like, don't make me feel bad if nobody remembers, come on. Uh, that, that's, that's close, but not Dynamite was what we got the word for power from. What about spirit? Yeah. Numa, exactly. Pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A is how we'd spell it in English. Pneuma, besides meaning spirit, most commonly it means wind. It means breath, right? So it's moving air. And then they also, is the same word for spirit. So imagine that you're an early follower of Jesus. You know, you're, you're one of this group of people. By the way, there are probably about 120 in this room the 12 uh, apostles plus other men and women that were followers of Christ and all of a sudden you hear a sound what does it sound like numa that's what they would have proclaimed what's that sound numa what were they waiting for numa Right, you see, isn't this is kind of God, you know, he's kind of like the telegraphing what's about to happen here. We hear pneuma, here comes the pneuma. Now, the second supernatural event that happens here, we, we hear the, the sound of the wind. What's the next one? Fire. Tongues of fire. Yeah, the fire. Now, this fire comes down, we get that imagery, and it rests above each individual person. Now, fire, when you think about that scripturally, you should always think about the presence and power of God because that's where you see this image all throughout the scripture. Particularly in the Old Testament, think about Moses when he encounters God for the first time, right? he He goes up to a bush, right? What's so unusual about this bush? It is on fire and it's not being consumed Right? So other bushes might have been fire, but this was special. This was God's power. This was a huge flame, but the bush was not being consumed. Right, So Moses approaches and he finds just the presence of God. He takes off his sandals because he can't approach his holy ground. All right? Fast forward to when God is leading the Israelite people through the desert. How does he lead them? With a pillar of cloud in the daytime, which cloud is also a symbol of the power and glory and presence of God, and then a flame at night fire. It's God's presence leading the way. He's saying, follow me, follow the flame. And then we get to the most important text for our context. I'm going to turn there. You don't necessarily need to, but, but do if you want to. Genesis. I'm sorry, not Genesis, Exodus. Exodus. Uh, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 19. And I took my place mark out after the second service. Here it is. Okay, Genesis 19. I want you to see what happened when Moses went to Mount Sinai to get the law. Because remember, this happened at or around the Pentecost feast. And they were remembering this even in the first century when they celebrated Pentecost. Verse 18 of Exodus 19. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, check this out, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. You start to see the connection of the imagery between the the original like giving of the law and now again the day that commemorates the giving of the law. God is again descending with fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Isn't, Isn't that incredible? image uh, in this mountain, like a furnace. The whole mountain quaked violently, right? Again, a reference to sort of this violent power. It was also referenced in Acts chapter 2. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called, called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze. And many of them perish. God's trying to protect the people here. He knows that in their uncleanliness, approaching His glory, His power, the flame, they will be instantly incinerated. But notice, one man is able to approach. Like Moses, and was it something so special and holy about Moses? No, other than Moses was the chosen appointed servant to deliver this law to the people. So God says, Moses, come on up, but anybody else can't even come near the mountain or even gaze upon my glory because they will be killed. Now, fast forward to the day of Pentecost in the first century around 33 AD. What's the same and what's different? Well, what's the same is God coming down with fire. What's different is it's not just the one representative that can approach the flame. In fact, the flame divides and is over every single one. What is God trying to illustrate? My presence, my very holy personal presence is now with you. And not just the holy man, all of you. All of you through faith in Jesus Christ can now have access to my presence, my holiness. And this was huge. Like for Jews in that context, you have to understand there were three characteristics of God that they knew by heart were true of God. Number one, God is holy. In other words, he's separate, he's untouchable in a way, he's other. He's clean and we're unclean. Number two, God is love. Number three, God is powerful. He's mighty. So from the Jewish perspective, yeah, he's loving God. He's a powerful God, but you can't touch him. And now this presence of God represented by the flame is on top of these 120 people and they're not being incinerated because they're under the covering of Christ as followers of Jesus. Now, you know, I, I got to speed up. I, I can't spend this long on, on the next one, which is the tongues. Actually, I'm, I am going to because it, it is significant. So here we go. The third supernatural phenomenon is this, uh, that the, they start speaking in these other languages, in these other tongues. Um, now, here's the thing that is undebatable about this. Okay, this was not a spiritual prayer language. You know, th- this was not, in, in this instance, for sure. This was not the kind of tongues that uh, some of you may be familiar with in our contemporary setting, which is, you know, a, kind of a, 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 voice, a language of angels, or somehow it's described, or a prayer language, etc. This was not that. And, and I don't think there's any debate around that, because you're going to see what happens. This is actually literal known languages. So the idea here is, if I suddenly started speaking perfect Swahili, This would be the gift of tongues like what happened in Acts chapter two because I'm telling you, I only know one word in Swahili and it's mzungu, which means uncultured white guy, (laughs) which is what I am, right? So all of a sudden I start speaking Swahili and and, and those of you in the room that speak the language, I don't know if we have any, but I'm I'm guessing who knows, then, then you suddenly like, wow, it's a miracle because that mzungu is speaking Swahili and he doesn't even have a Tennessee accent. That's what's actually happening here. In fact, the, the, the word that we're going to get into um, in, 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 verse, in the verses that follow is, the Greek is dialecto, dialect. Like these were dialects that were actually being speaking, spoken. So imagine being... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for laughing with me today. You know, it's like the, the other service, I'm sure I was saying the same things and they just kind of just ignored it. But so it's good to have some interaction. Now, um, But you made me lose my train of thought. That's not good either. Uh, Okay, imagine being a Jewish man or woman that had grown up in a faraway land because you're a part of the diaspora Okay, you've heard that phrase before. That's the scattering of the Jews all around the world that, that happened when the Babylonians came and you know, conquered um, uh, Israel and, and kicked them all out and conquered Jerusalem. And so you're still living over here and you come to Jerusalem. Either you're moving Jerusalem permanently or you're here just to celebrate this festival and you start hearing someone speak the language that you, you grew up with. And I'm imagining you had not heard that language in a very long time. No one around you knew that language except for you, right? It was like a personal message just to you. You're the only person that can hear it. You see, this is what the Spirit is doing. And by the way, this just came to me, and I actually think this is true. I often have people come up to me after sermons, and they say, man, when you said such and such, God just spoke to me. And, and you know what? You know what my, my response often to that is? I didn't say that, or I didn't mean to say that. So you know what's happening, I believe? When, when the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit is actually teaching the word that the Spirit authored, all right? And the things that the Spirit is speaking to you are oftentimes in a language that you get, that you understand. Now, I'm not saying that there's multiple meanings to a given text. There's one meaning to a text, but the application that's going out to you is the Spirit speaking to you. You say, you need to listen to this. This is going to come in your language and it's going to come according to your circumstance and your situation. And that's why you're here this morning, many of you, because there's something the Spirit wants to teach you through this meaning, this text right here. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself with the application. We'll get there. So these dialects are spoken. Let's see what happens in the purpose for the dialects. Verse 5. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Now, I want you to notice in the verses that are about to follow, you're going to see two reactions to this miracle. And I want you to pay attention to them because these are the same two responses that have always been true when the word of God goes out and are the same two responses that you get today when you talk about God and what he's doing in your life. When you live out your calling to be a witness, you're going to get these two responses. Let's look at them. Verse 12 is the first one. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? All right, so that's the first thing that will happen is you, you'll, you'll witness about Christ. You know, this is the new life in me. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm growing in this area and that area and God's really done something in my life and I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm experiencing a freedom I haven't, a peace that I haven't experienced before. And there's gonna be some people that'll say, huh, what does that mean? And they'll, they'll be puzzled, but they wanna hear more. Those are people with soft hearts. Those are people with open hearts. And in fact, those are people that have a chance And in fact, just to telegraph, what happens in the next text is Peter is about to get up and answer their question. They say, what does this mean? Peter's going to preach the first sermon of the church, and he's going to powerfully, by the Spirit, answer the question, what does it mean? And guess how many people are going to be saved? 3,000. 3,000. And I'm telling you, it's the people that were open to the message, the people that are willing to say, what does it mean? They were the ones that were able to receive. It's like what Jesus said about, hey, listen, a a farmer went out. He he sowed the seed. Some fell on hard soil. Some fell on good, soft soil, all right? You're going to get that reaction when you sow that seed out there and you talk about what God's doing in your life. Some people are going to say, wow, tell me more. Tell me more, and then you can continue and engage with them. But there's another response that you will get, and the early church got it too. Look at verse 13, but... Others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine, <laughs> all right? Like, oh, let me just translate that for you. They're drunk out of their minds, right? Right? And you know, Peter's going to address that later in his sermon. Like, I love it. He's going to actually say, we're not drunk. It's, it's only the third hour of the morning, right? It's like nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. Now, but, but here's the reaction you're going to get. They're going to say, you're nuts, you're intoxicated, and maybe it's not with alcohol, but there's something weird, and I don't want to have anything to do with what you're talking about. Right? These are people with hard hearts. And you see the mocking that comes out. Right? Now, why do people mock? It's because they feel insecure. Like, isn't this true? Like we, we we mock other people because deep down we need to feel better about ourselves. And so there's a deep need that these men and women have, but their hearts are hardened. They're not able to hear and, and say, what does this mean? So instead they mock. And here's the thing about the mockers. We need to pray for the mockers because mockers are always worse off than the people they're mocking. Isn't that true? Man, you're around people and they're just making fun of folks. There's, man, look at those guys. Man, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. They're mocking them. It's coming from a hard Heart, we need to pray for those individuals because unless the spirit of God intervenes and softens their heart, their souls are in danger. So we pray for the mockers, we engage more with those that ask the question, what does this mean, okay? Good lesson for us as we are witnesses of the new life in us through Jesus. Now, that's the text we're gonna cover today. And I wanna talk about the big idea and then I want to apply it. How's my time going? Okay, we're, we're so-so. I'll start talking a little faster. What's the big idea of this text? It's actually not the tongues. The tongues are the vehicle. It's not even the flame. The flame is a symbol. It's not the wind. The wind is a precursor. It's the wind is sort of an invitation. The, the, the flame is the representation of the, the, the presence of God that is now among the people, the tongues are the vehicle through which the spirit moves the vehicle through which the power is expressed so last week there were three key words from acts 1:8 that we put on the screen let's put them back on the screen power spirit witnesses you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria to the other ends of the earth do you see how this is coming true in Acts chapter two. Do you see how they now have power? By the way, the definition of power, we said it's Greek dunamis or dynamite. It's the ability to do something that you could not do before. What's the power source? The spirit. Check out what happens in Acts chapter two. The spirit arrives, gives them the ability to speak languages that they could not speak before. What's the purpose of the power? Always to be witnesses of new life. This is exactly what's playing out. It's like the DNA that was implanted in Acts 1-8 is now born, and and it's being alive. And as I already mentioned, the church is about to explode. 3,000 people will come to Christ on that day. Remember, this is the festival of the first fruits. The first fruits of the church are about to come in. They're about to join the chorus of the redeemed, you see. There's no accident that this happened on the day of Pentecost. Now let's leave these three words on the screen a few more minutes. The the power comes from the Spirit. The Spirit is the power source. What's the application for you and me? Here's the thing, guys. Some of you are living your Christian lives, and, and I put myself in this category often, all right? I'm living the Christian life like like the guy we talked about last week that's trying to dig a tunnel with my own tools, my own resources and I come across a big slab of rock and I can't get around it and I can't get through it and I just say, "I, I guess it doesn't work. I guess either I'm not equipped enough or I guess my faith is not strong enough that I'm, 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 maybe my faith is wrong. Maybe this Christianity thing's not actually real. It's not actually true. It's not actually alive. It's not making sense to me. My marriage is a wreck. I've got a teenage kid that's in rebellion. I've got broken relationships. I'm a single person. And I never wanted to be a single person. I've got struggles in my financial area. My dream of being the kind of person with the kind of career that I wanted never came into being. I've got a physical illness or I've got a good friend or a loved one with a physical illness and I've been praying. And I've been doing these things, and I'm up against the rock, and there's no movement. Maybe, and this is not necessarily always true, but maybe you've been trying to do it without the dynamite, right? Without the power that's been handed to you. Let me unpack this a little bit more. I think we get confused about sanctification, right? Sanctification is growing in your faith, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by sanctification. I think we get confused in our sanctification because we think it means, like, it looks like strength. We think it means I've got to work harder, try harder, pull myself up by my bootstraps in order to be a better Christian so I can bust through whatever's keeping me stuck in my spiritual life. Sanctification does not look like your strength. Sanctification looks like weakness, learning to depend on the strength that comes from outside of you. Sanctification requires you to wave the white flag, right? And say, I am needy, which is exactly the very thing that many of you in the room will not say. You won't say I'm needy. Why won't you say that? Partly because the culture that we live in, you know, American culture, which I love our country, but part of what's true about our culture, particularly in our time and place, is we have this thought that I got this. It's like, I've got this. I'm strong enough for this. I don't need to pull over and ask for directions. <laughs> kind of get the idea, right? I got this. Now, with that kind of culture, it's sort of this culture of independence, of self-sufficiency that, you know, we don't need anybody else. We can do this on our own. Like, I just think that's part of us. And it's not just part of our uh, uh, national culture. There's other factors as well. But I I think we struggle to be needy. We struggle to be dependent. And I'm talking about the right kind of neediness, okay? I hope you all understand this. So here's what happens is, you know, we, we, we... We go back and forth between on the one moment we're like, man, my spiritual life, I got this. I'm rocking it. Things are going well. My marriage is all right. You know, my work life's okay. You know, I shared my faith, you know, at some point in the last, you know, three years, you know, (laughs) that one time and three years ago, whatever it was. I got this. I got this. And what that creates in us is pride. I got this is a statement of pride. On the other hand, there's a bunch of you that are like, I don't got this. But what it's creating in you is shame. So we go back and forth between pride and shame, pride and shame. When life falls apart, we feel shame. When we got it going on, we have pride. And what the spirit would do is he would enter into those spaces. And for those of us that are in a pride space, he would say, you don't have this, all right? And oftentimes there'll be things that will come in your life that will make it very difficult. Now, is that God punishing you? No, no, there's a lot of reasons for the challenges and difficulties in your lives. Some of them are just we live in a broken creation. But don't despise the hard things because they are there in part to get you to a place of need. They're in, and they're in part to get you to a place to say, I don't got this. I need help. I don't have this. I need help. So some of you right now, you're in marriages that are just really, really hard. You're in struggles in your workplace, your health, your financially. all of these things. Do not despise the things that God have, has brought into your life. They're there at least in part to help you learn to be needy in all the right kinds of ways. We don't like to be needy. We need to repent of that attitude. Can you imagine if the disciples, they would have said, you know, I don't think we need any more power. Like, I think I can speak whatever language I need to speak out there. Like, I, I think I'm just gonna show up and by my own skill, you know, give me five minutes. Give me five minutes to listen to that language. I got this. John Stott has, you know, maybe my favorite quote about this. Um, here's, here's what it says. Without, here's what he wrote. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. Do you actually believe that's true? Okay, I got to admit, like there's something in me that I I don't, I'm not sure if that's really true, that without me, depending on the Spirit, that, that what I'm doing is actually impossible. He goes on, there can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the Spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the Spirit no Christ likeness of character apart from the Spirit's fruit and no effective witness without his power. And here's the money sentence. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. So I've been thinking this week about me and about you. And for me and for you, for us collectively, what would it look like for us as individual followers of Christ and as a collective community of faith, what would it look like for us to become increasingly alive? It's gonna look like learning more, yes. It's gonna look like doing more, yes. But I think more than any of those things, it's gotta look like a a different kind of dependence upon the power source, a different kind of dependence on the spirit. I think we have to ask, (laughs) We have to start with, I, I don't have this. And then we need to ask the Spirit to do it through us. So I just want to make this as practical as I possibly can. We're going to start wrapping up here. Um, every week in this series, you know, Lloyd and I have decided we're, we're going to close every message with some prayer time. And, and some of them are going to be interactive for you. Last week, we had you write down some names of people to pray for. Today, I, I want to teach you a prayer. And I want to teach you a prayer that I actually think Could make a difference in your spiritual life. I'm not one for formulaic prayers. I'm really not. This one's not actually a formulaic prayer. It just kind of gives you you a structure for your prayer. So if you are a note taker or just anybody, I can pull out your device or your phone, write this down because I'm going to call us, I'm going to challenge us to start praying this prayer starting today and all throughout the week. And I think you're going to see how immensely helpful and practical this prayer is. Okay, let's put it on the screen. Here's the prayer. Father, I don't have the power to, so I am depending on your spirit to. Okay, now that may not sound like much, but I I wanna fill in some gaps and give you some examples. And and then I'm gonna pray it. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and ask Caleb if he'd come out and he's gonna play for us while we pray because we're about to actually pray this prayer. But let me give you a couple of examples. Um, You encounter things every single day that you approach with a I got this attitude and the reality is you need to depend on the spirit for it. So parents, you know, some of you, you know, I, I talked to a couple before the service uh, started. that They've got a, a young child and they're like, man, this is hard. <laughs> you know, it's great, but man, this is hard. Guess what they need, right? They, they need to start every morning with this prayer. Father, I don't have the power to have patience with my child today. So I'm depending on your spirit to show up and do through me what I can't do on my own. Some of you are in a really hard work situation. Like every meeting you go into, that person is there and there's just such tension and they've criticized you and you just can't do it. You need to pray this prayer on your way into the meeting. Father, I don't have the gift of of love for this person. So I am depending on your spirit to love this person through me. Like some of you are in a time of grieving and just getting out of bed Every day is really hard, and you need to start your day with this prayer. Father, I don't have the power to get out of bed, so I'm depending on your spirit to breathe your life in me so that I can be alive today. Some of you are in a difficult marriage. You know, you're know, you like, I, I don't know. We don't have any more resources. Father, I don't have the power to fix this marriage, so I'm depending upon your spirit to empower us and show up in some kind of miraculous way because we're out of resources. We're dead against that rock. You see how practical this is. Guys, I prayed this prayer this week for this sermon, because it was Friday afternoon, and I was behind the the eight ball, and and I I had had nothing. I said, Father, I don't have the power. I'm not a smart enough person to write a sermon that's gonna change lives. That's not my job. Would you speak your word through your text, spirit? I'm depending upon you to do that. And it can go on and on and on and on. I want us to pray this prayer together. If you would bow your heads even right now. I'm going to give you some space. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 15 or 30 seconds. And I, I would like you, everyone, if you have a relationship of, of, uh, with Christ, through your faith in Christ, I'm going to invite you to actually pray this prayer and engage the power that has been given you. Because men and women, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been given the presence of God. You have the Spirit. You don't need to wait for some second baptism of the Spirit. The Scripture would teach us that the Spirit is with every single believer in Jesus Christ. The power of God and the presence of God is with you. You are actually 24-7 in the Holy of Holies. More accurately, the Holy of Holies is in you. And so you can pray this prayer with boldness, but it starts with a confession of your need. So I'm going to invite you, all, oh, everyone, just to, to talk to God and, and, and fill in the, the blanks of this prayer. Father, I don't have the power to, so I'm depending on your spirit to. Let's pray that now. Lord God, you who are holy, you who is untouchable and set apart, you have chosen to make yourself known. And you made yourself known through your son, Jesus Christ. And then as he left, he sent the Spirit. So that not only would you be known, but that you would be present with us. And so even now, you are present with us. You are right here. And we confess there's an awful lot that we cannot do apart from the power, but it is hard for us to confess our neediness. We don't like to be needy people, and I pray that you would help us to repent of that, at least as it relates to these areas of our lives that we are trying to accomplish on our own and we were never equipped for it. God, help us to depend upon the power that you have given us. The power not just to have an easier, better life, a power to actually live the life you've given us in a way that is a witness of a recreated life through Christ that is in us. And I pray for this congregation that this week they would go about their days saying, I don't have the power for this, but I'm depending upon your spirit to do this through me. And I pray that that would be What we would be known for would be a people who are weak and yet learning to depend upon you and your strength through the Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.